you are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis, and I want to thank you for making Locked On Indians your first listen today and every day. Free and available on all podcasting platforms, apps, and the like. Uh, for those who don't know me, if this is your first show, well, thank you for listening and joining in. Uh, as I mentioned before, I am Jeff Ellis. I have hosted this podcast from the beginning. There's not an episode that is not a bonus episode that you will not hear my dulcet tones on. Uh, as for what I did before this, I wrote at Scout in 24-7 primarily as a draft and prospect analyst. Before that, my primary writing location was Indians Prospect Insider, which became Baseball Insider. And then I had work appear all over the blogosphere, specifically more Cleveland blogosphere as it came down to prospects and the draft, which is what really I was primarily known for. Today's show, we're going to talk about the Jose Ramirez of it all. Uh, Zach Meisel had a great piece. I'm not going to sit there and you know regurgitate it. We're going to hit the high points, discuss what I agree, don't agree, whatever with, you know, uh, mostly... Spoiler, I agree with his points, and uh, like I said, I'm not going to give away his whole article, but he makes some really good points in there. Then we are going to talk about the 1991 draft. Why the 91 draft? Well, it had the highest single war first-round pick in Indians draft history. Take a second, you might figure that out based on error. Uh, As I was going through and digging into this draft, fascinating draft, I will tell you right now, 94 rounds. (laughs) I don't think the Indians, um, when I went back and did my like all-time Indians draft, they consistently quit at 60. They did not push on. They were not that team that went 94 rounds. Uh, but teams did. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the 94 rounds. We're going to talk about why it is this uh, particular uh, draft stands out as, like, just a complete dominator by the Indians. Uh, we'll, we'll explain why. But I'm not sure there is a draft the Indians dominated more than the 1991 draft, which is kind of funny as the 91 draft was the last Peters draft. Uh, it's not one where sometimes it is a draft that goes in the Hart uh, column. Now, John Hart's greatest draft pick was C.C. Sabathia. That was a strong pick. Number two all-time franchise history in war. Uh, the 91 draft, like Hank Peters authored the greatest drafts in its history at a four-year run. Uh, he was the in-between guy. You know, he came in after, I can't think of the GM who was there for, there was a GM who was there for 20 years, retired at the age of 76, who never had a season above 500 or had maybe one. It's crazy. Baseball was a different game then. I mean, the whole sports media landscape was different where someone could be that bad and (laughs) retire on their own in their late 70s. Uh, And in between, Hank Peters came in, and then Hank Peters uh, basically handpicked John Hart. And Hart was a scout with them, so he had stuff to do with that draft class. But that was the last Peters class, and that makes sense. The Indians would dominate in his final class. Hart, for the most part, his drafts, I and mean, he had a lot of high picks. That, that next year, 92, I believe they're the number two overall pick, and that was your Mark Lewis selection. Uh, they didn't – Hart was a pretty bad drafter. Like, that's just the long and short of it. We're not going to spend too much time. This is more when we get into the draft stuff. Let's switch and talk – well, I'll say this. Hart was not great at the draft. He was great in free agency. Uh, we're going to get into the fun of this 91 draft, which is another Hank Peters masterpiece. But now let's talk Jose Ramirez. So – the big talk of the day was, you know, Jose Ramirez wants to stay in Cleveland. Now, we've heard this before. If you're sitting there going, yeah, Francisco Lindor wanted to stay in Cleveland, that's true. We did hear that. 
There's a difference though. Anyone who has followed me for any extended period of time pretty much knows after the second year Lindor was in Cleveland, I told everyone he's not signing an extension. This is back when people were like, no, it could happen. You know, he's not even arbitration eligible. An extension might happen. I was like, no, this is someone who is set to get to free agency at a very young age, who knows that. And the only reason he accepted that deal with the Mets and did not get to free agency was because uh, his agent is smart. He would not have gotten 350, even if he had had a good year, getting 350 million in free agency would have been darn near impossible because of the depth of the free agent shortstop class. Uh, instead, they knew they had the Mets over a barrel because the Mets just traded a bunch of assets and pieces to get Lindor. If he walked, it would be awful. Now, in retrospect, if they had traded all those pieces and then waited till the end of the year to sign him, he's not getting $350 million. Heck, they may choose to not even re-sign him. They may just view it as, you know what, uh, Ahmed Rosario, he's a good but not great piece. Jimenez took a step back. Those two prospects are far away. Uh, and hey, we got Carrasco out of this deal, so it's not all bad. Like They might choose to legitimately walk away from Lindor if they could right now. Uh, he His contract, though, instead, they were in that situation. They didn't want to enter the year. You know, the, Lindor's agent was like, you know, we get it done now. We don't get it done at all. And uh, they were pressed, and they they gave him a monster deal. Whether or not you think he's going to rebound, that's a conversation for another day. But when you get down to Jose Ramirez, there's a few things I want to point out. Whereas the whole Lindor thing was, I mean, he was he was always ticketed out. Like he was always going to go for the most money possible. He also wanted a bigger stage, if I'm being perfectly honest. He thought he was marketable, but the marketable stuff wasn't coming. And he is marketable if he's playing well. Uh, this past year was not a marketable year for him. But, you know, the smile and the skill set and, you know, he was going to be, you know, my high-end grade for him on draft day. You can go back and, well, you may not be able to, actually. I get to get out. One, I think my first or second mock, I had Lindor to the Indians. I let myself get talked out of it, and I vowed to never do that again, and that's why uh, you would see in further drafts uh, me not getting taught. You know, it's why I got Clint Frazier to the Indians throughout that entire process, because I saw he matched up with what they do, and I wasn't going to get myself talked off because the Indians prefer college players. But I thought he was a fit. I thought he was a fit. And then, like I said, I let myself get talked out because the experts, people in the know, know better. And eventually, and that's not always the case. But they drafted Lindor, and I thought the high end was a potential Jeter-like player uh, with better defense. And, I mean, the peaks were higher peaks. I mean, you had a gold glove defender with 40 home runs. I mean, it was A-Rod ceiling, it looked like. Uh, unfortunately, he has come down to the negative A-Rod side of things right now after moving to New York. And we'll see what happens with with Lindor. But, uh, I mean, I wish him well. I don't hold anything against him. He's one of the top five first-round picks in Indians franchise. Saying all that about, you know, Lindor, that this is a player who every, you know, he basically wasn't willing to talk extension unless it was a huge amount of money. Uh, the amount the Indians weren't willing to go. The, they, they knew because he debuted so young, he was going to hit free agency in his prime. He played a prime position. He was going to be marketable. He was looking for that huge payday. Jose Ramirez is a much, much different situation. One, this is a dude who has always been about comfort. Comfort level, comfort feeling. Uh, you know, I think it does not hurt that he sees Lindor, who was, you know, someone who was a friend, go to New York and kind of get eviscerated and have to deal with all that negative media attention. And you can look at, like, the microscope someone's under and be like, I don't know if that's worth it. I don't know if that extra pay is worth that. And you might think that's crazy, but at some point it's like, 
you know, is is that worth fifty million more? Is that worth a hundred million? If you already have millions and millions of dollars, uh, and you are Jose, and you are very laid back, and you know where you are comfortable, maybe it you know it's not worth the extra money that he could potentially get, and that is certainly conceivable. Two, you know, this is a player who has a non-traditional build and is approaching age thirty, and also has to know from talking with his agent. Yes, he will likely get paid in free agency, but there's probably not going to be as huge of a market. He is a player where the doubts never end, right? Like uh, he was doubted. He was the lesser Jose Ramirez prospect. The pitcher for the Yankees was considered the better Jose Ramirez as a prospect. They were coming up at the same time. Uh, he was doubted. I mean, by myself, I was willing to throw him in for Brandon Moss. I just didn't see much more in a utility ceiling on the guy. I remember my big argument was I didn't think he could play short, and let's be honest, it ended up he really couldn't. Uh, I mean, I was underestimating his offense, but even those who who were strong believers didn't think he'd become what he has become. I mean, it's unbelievable. Two, uh, in terms of as uh, an underestimation, you know, it, he wasn't. It was a fluke year when he broke out, and then after that, it was a fluke year. Then he struggled in the postseason and had the rough start. Okay, so he's coming back to earth. Then he's rebounded, and now it's all about his size. He's going to wear down. He, he carries extra weight. Dude works. I mean, the end of the story. The guy works and works and works. Uh, you know, you can read the Zach Meisel piece on The Athletic. Talks, you know, elite work ethic. And, okay, so he's more of a round figure. He's not big, but he runs. His his uh, speed scores are great. I mean, he, he constantly gets extra bases. He does the right things. And his defense at third actually improved this year. So, yeah, I mean, typically you look at a body like that and you're like the Sean Figgins is the guy who comes to mind uh, when he left Anaheim to go to Seattle and that became uh, just a disaster of a contract. But Jose Ramirez isn't Sean Figgins. He's not a speed first guy. Yeah, he walks a lot like Figgins did, but he brings so much more to the table and does so much that I, I don't have those concerns. But I'm sure, again, his agent knows about that. His agent knows what his comfort level is. I think he likes Cleveland. I think he likes it low-key and laid-back like he is relative to some markets. He appreciates uh, the structure. And then, you know, like I said, his age, people, the tendency to doubt him. And then most importantly of all, the Indians have two really cheap years on him. If they can bump up those years, give him a little bit more money now. Now, here's the thing. If you give him... The eight-year contract that he likely wants at a higher amount of money, you're going to – those they never work out for the team. Those contracts never work out. They look good. They're great uh, the day you sign them. But aging curves are such that most players decline after age 35, uh, if not before then. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of Nelson Cruz's. Maybe you get lucky, but, I mean, look at Joey Votto. Look at Brandon uh, Phillips with the Reds. Look at, I mean, Christian Yelich. I live in Milwaukee. There's some talk now. Uh, the, the two players that Zach compares contractually to where they were were Altuve and Yelich as similar types of contracts. And I agree, you could find some room for those. But neither of those guys have really been the same guy. You're paying for what they did at peak, knowing their past peak. And that's what you're going to run into. Like, I am fine with giving Jose Ramirez an extension. I understand that at the end of it, it's not going to be pretty. And that's not against Jose. That's just how these extensions work for players deep into their 30s. I am curious to see if, and I feel like he would be the player. I think he's smart enough to take deferred money. I think the Indians would, in some respects, prefer deferred deferred money 
especially if you are a Dolan ownership person, because there's a good chance that whoever comes on as minority ownership, uh, if you're saying like deferred money to like 10 years down the road, you may not have to pay a dime on that. That might be the next owner. So deferred money, because that's what's in the Yelich deal. That's why I'm bringing that up. But uh, yeah, that might be a bonus for uh, the ownership group in that that view, that it could be money they never have to pay themselves. Long and short of it, I, I am all for an extension. I am. I also recognize that an extension at the end is going to be the team paying money for, you know, if they're lucky, mediocre production. I mentioned those players. What about, go look at, you know, Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, all of these guys where the contract becomes an anchor. I mean, Votto's contract is an anchor. Uh, Phillips got traded for nothing because the contract was an anchor and they still had to pay some of it. The contract will become an anchor at the end. If he gets some kind of eight, nine, ten-year deal, which is likely what it would take. It would need to be a lot of those, like, you're going to be here for life deals are that. Uh, I mean, he'll settle into a DH role in the next five years, likely, just because, again, natural aging curves and health. Uh, You're then, you have to know that by the end of it, he is going to be here to try to break career records, to retire one of the, you know, maybe, like, the greatest Indian hitter in the history of the game greatest by the time guardian hitter in the history of the franchise but you understand that you are going to overpay down the line and potentially cripple your payroll uh, with that and that that's how it works that's how these contracts work you just have to be understanding and accept that reality that if they do do an extension we can all be happy it's going to be great that is fine uh, as long as you're also willing to we all have to agree if we're going to be happy now five years down the line we can't complain that's the rule Happy now, can't complain when it turns, because it will turn, it always turns. Uh, unless, like I said, maybe we're lucky, maybe he's the next Nelson Cruz, and he'll move in that DHO and remain an all-star for the entire length of the contract. But if he doesn't, again, the Indians settling down and keeping a talented player has not had... Like, Omar Vizquel is about as close as it got. Like, he played towards, you know, the point where he really wasn't being productive, and then they moved on, they made the right call. I know some fans don't agree with that, but I think you know, history shows it was the right call. Uh, there is, outside of him, every other player who is an all-star type has left or been hurt before they, uh, you know, they, they threw at some point in their career. To have someone who stuck around through all of it would be kind of amazing, and that's why uh, I know it's going to be bad. I know I shouldn't. I know when I play baseball simulator games, I never give that extension that I'm talking about giving. But sometimes the heart and the mind are not in unison. And I am saying, lock up, Jose. Okay? Let's take a quick commercial break and come back and talk about the 1991 draft. Spotify Green Room, they're still our sponsor. You're going to have about two more weeks of opportunities where I'm going to be doing them on the reg. This Saturday evening, I'll be doing it last week. We had uh, Andy D.B. Sice along with the Mad Thinker and myself. And I think we chatted for a good hour and a half. Uh, discussing what we'd like to see the Indians do, uh, who our ideal ads would be, and the two of them explaining Stratomatic Baseball to me, which is uh, something that I sadly missed out on, and it sounds like I would have adored. But you never know what you're going to find, what you're going to talk. I will do another show, probably, uh, I might even do one Sunday afternoon uh, after that, because that'll be a new week. And then we'll probably move them to like once a month or every two weeks just because of changes to schedule. So you really want to get in, join me, come chat in Green Room this Saturday, 
uh, is the last of those guaranteed every week Saturday shows. So hop in, join me, have a fun time chatting, talking, all things baseball. Uh, like I said, the Indians, what we'd like to see, it's a Stratomatic. Join me in the green room. Check out the app yourself, available on Android and iOS. And if you do want to chat, and I don't know your name, uh, message me on Twitter, because I'm not letting anyone chat in there unless they message me first. Okay, so the 1991 Hank Peters was GM for four years. He had four drafts. This was his final draft. And I'm putting so much emphasis, because three of those four drafts are probably three of the top five drafts in Indians history. Two of them, he might actually have authored, I think he actually did author, the top two drafts in Indians history, and he was the only GM, only a GM for two years. How crazy is that? You're like, well, did he have a lot high picks? No, because one of those years... Uh, the first rounder didn't sign, and they lost the second rounder to sign Jesse Orozco. That's the 1989 draft. That is the greatest draft in Indians history. Uh, Hank Peters added Bayerga. He added uh, Nagy. He added Manny Ramirez. He added Jim Tomey. He might have added Albert Bell. I have to go back and double-check on that. But, I mean, he, the core of that 90s team that, uh, you know, it's always like John Hardest. No, it was Hank Peters who assembled it. And this draft was a masterclass by Hank Peters. So the overall 91 draft is just a crazy one to get into. One, it goes 94 rounds. I'll say it again, 94 rounds. Uh, The Houston Astros, so the Yankees, the Astros, and the Dodgers are are drafting. The Yankees drop off after the 80th round. This is back when you kept drafting until teams said we're done. So if a team never said they were done, guess what? The draft keeps going. Uh, That's right. It just keeps going and going. It's like the Energizer Bunny. The draft will never end. So the, the Yankees drop off after the 80th round, and then the, the Astros and the Dodgers go to the 94th round. But they don't sign any of these picks. The last player that signed was Butter Jones, a outfielder who the San Francisco Giants took in the 69th round out of Motlow State College, which I am not familiar with. Uh, he played two years in the minors, got to low A. Numbers in low A weren't bad. He looks like he was mostly a bad... I mean... He was old, 21 at the level. I mean, it's, it, it, he wasn't bad. Not, I mean, for a 69th round draft pick, that, that's that's positive production. Uh, Motlow's had some dudes. Okay, I, I was wrong. David Weathers and Brian Morris both made to the big leagues from there. So, um, tip of my cap. I was going to say, I got excited. Uh, for those who know my history, I used to teach at... Uh, at Ritman Elementary, and I, I adored it there. If anyone's from Ritman listening, uh, I wish I, I wish I was still teaching there. It was the best job I ever had. Everyone was fantastic. They're great teachers. But it was really fascinating as I'm going through this draft because I see Ritman High School. I'm like, what? And uh, let's see, the Houston Astros uh, drafted him. Oh, man, did I close this page out? They drafted him like the 70th round. Uh, Matt R. Beaumont. And he goes to Ohio State and ends up being like freshman pitcher of the year and Big Ten, first team all Big Ten, Big Ten tournament co-MVP, and makes a very wise choice after being drafted in the 70s, I want to say, to go to college because he was drafted 74th, goes to college, goes to Ohio State, and uh, and three years later is a fourth-round draft pick. So good on him. Got up to AAA. Uh, There was a knee injury that really sidelined him. Uh, only player from Ritman in the entire baseball reference, uh, you know, hole finder for it. So good on Matt Beaumont, uh, a lefty. Those lefties, you can come out of small. I mean, my high school, I went to Copley High School. 
the only player in the baseball reference is Jeff Tabaka, who was a lefty who didn't debut in the big leagues till he's 30. So lefties, they can travel. Speaking of lefties, that Houston Astros team, uh, 94 draft picks, only one who signed and has a positive war. Only one. Alvin Mormon, future Indian out of Wingate University, uh, which I think of more for basketball than baseball, if I'm being honest. Uh, Alvin Mormon actually came up in our green room chat over the weekend. That's, you know, kind of a humorous thing. Uh, he was not with the Indians as long as I thought, and he is the only player from Wingate to make the big leagues. So, hey, there's, uh, I guess, a reason why I sing it more. Uh, they, they actually didn't sign most of the guys who they drafted who did get to the big leagues. Luke Hallier is in this class, whose son Cam uh, is a really interesting draft prospect this year. Uh, Andy Abad, who I feel like was in the Indian system at some point in time, though I could be wrong, uh, was one of their guys they didn't sign. Bob Howery and Jay uh, Watasik were the you know the two best players they didn't sign from their class. Again, they took 94 draft picks, <laughs> didn't sign most of them, and got two future major leaders, James Mouton and Alvin Mormon. Uh, Mouton did, I mean, Mormon only appeared in 70, no, 176 games. And Mouton appeared in 723. Like, Mouton stuck around. He just ended up with a negative war for that time. He just uh, was not a productive player. I remembered his name. But yeah, it's, uh, it, that's, it, that is odd to me. That many picks. Uh, so who's the latest pick to be successful? Jason Isringhausen, who was a 45th, 44th round selection. I'm sorry, I have Lewis and Clark Community College and Godfrey, Illinois. Uh, the Mets signed him. You know, he was part of that, uh, supposed to be like the next big thing of Mets arms. Uh, it took him a while. He got hurt, figured it out, came back as a reliever. Darren Bragg is another guy who was a 22nd round pick. Now uh, he's interesting just cause I mean, he went to Georgia tech and he gets drafted in 91. He's undersized five, nine. I feel like that's probably why he slid down. I played in the big leagues for 11 years. That's a really nice late round pick. And then the 19th round, like you go through most of these rounds and there is no value there. Uh, 19th round is kind of crazy. I'm sorry, the 18th round is the one that's kind of crazy. Because most rounds, it's like there are rounds where nothing happens. The sixth round has a negative war, for instance. We'll kind of get into those rounds in segment three. But Mike Cameron goes in the 18th round and signs. Bobby Higginson goes from Temple. I didn't realize he was from Temple. Does not sign. But you also get Kirk Reuter, who signs out of Murray State who pitched, you know, a long time in the big leagues. And Ron Mahay, who, speaking of long careers, is a player in the big leagues, mostly as a pitcher. He was drafted as, a, as an outfielder. That's why I'm laughing. I'm like, I always thought about him more as a uh, as a pitcher. But Ron Mahay, uh, yeah, was must have been a two-way guy in college, but he was that. So Mahay, Reuter, and uh, Mike Cameron all signed out of the 18th round. It's kind of crazy just to look at that and be like, most of these rounds, nothing happens, and there's a bunch there take our next commercial break come back and talk about the indians pick and one interesting first round story that i can't help myself but talk about so i finally tried the blueberry muffin from built bar it's got blueberries in it i don't know why that surprised me but it did and right now pumpkin puff is in if i didn't have two three boxes sitting upstairs and a wife who would be angry at me i'd be ordering right now from builtbar.com to try that pumpkin puff i still might just get one 12 box normally i like to get multiple but paranormal pumpkin is in if you were like me and that's your thing, that could be worth checking out. They are, they still have the strawberry, they still have the coconut puff, blueberry muffin and Rocky Road and cherry lime. Those six seasonal flavors to check out right now. 
I'm just sitting here staring at the pumpkin. I like pumpkin. I'm sorry. I'm one of those people. If you like pumpkin, go to BuiltBar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCK15. As I sit here and debate this, if I order, I'm using the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off my order. Go to BuiltBar.com. It is the best tasting protein bar. I always get excited when there's a new flavor. I love it. I use it. I take my money from the podcast and I buy Built Bar. And I don't know if I can give a better recommendation than that. Go to BuiltBar.com today. Remember that promo code LOCKED15. BetOnline.ag. You know it. You love it. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all basketball and football action this season. Head over to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing officers avail- available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. So I know I promised again to the Indians thing, but I, ha- I was going through this first round. Uh, Brian Taylor, you know, he is, if you don't know the story, I don't have enough time to talk about it. Uh, he was the phenom, really one of those guys. He kind of, you know, made uh, Scott Boris's career. He got a massive bonus. He was the dude. He was going to be, he got $1.55 million. It was unheard of. It's the first overall pick to the Yankees. Supposedly the next phenom was going to be Ken Henderson, but uh, Ted Turner made the Braves take Mike Kelly, uh, now in outfielder from Arizona State. Dave McCarthy went three. Your first prep hitter was Dimitri Young at four to the Cardinals. So Ken Henderson fell to five to the Brewers. Uh, it's it, very interesting from this perspective. Supposedly, he had a million-dollar price tag, and then it came down to be like 750 Now, the Brewers were owned by Bud Selig at the time and had always refused to go for slot. They started at 500000 got all the way up to 650000 Boris got down to 750 and they couldn't budge from there. So he doesn't sign. He enrolls at the University of Miami. And you can tell uh, Ken Henderson is not happy with Scott Boris to this day. Because then three years later, he is a late second round pick. So not getting $550,000 anymore. Not getting $650,000 anymore. Uh, then the strike happens and all unsigned picks have to go back to school. Because he hadn't signed in time. The deal was in place. Ends up being a fifth rounder of the Padres. Uh, has arm issues and is out of baseball in two years. Never gets to double A, never gets his payday. Ugh. I mean, those are the stories, right? And this is before the days of uh, taking out those big insurance plans. Like Matt Harrington, we always hear about that story, but he had insured his arm. Uh, so he still got paid when everything went awry for him. Uh, but for Ken Henderson, I mean, he just lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in 1991. And Scott Boris, uh, <laughs> you, know, it, you can find a really interesting article if you want more info. If you're like me, what happened here? by the Chattanooga Times Free Press uh, about Phenom Kenny Henderson. Go check that out. The Indians had the highest war player in that draft. It is interesting because it was very college-heavy. And then there's this stretch where it switches and it becomes prep players. And uh, you have Doug Glanville going one pick before Manny Ramirez. He was a college guy from the University of Pennsylvania. That's right. Ivy League guy going 10. You have Manny Ramirez. Cliff Floyd, who was often the higher-rated prospect in the minors between those two guys. Ty Hill and Sean Green. Uh, at 17, Eduardo Perez, future Indian. And then it's funny, at 18, is another prep player, uh, Al Shirley, who does not get the big leagues. He's from George Washington High School in Danville, Virginia, as opposed, as opposed to George Washington High School in New York, where Manny Ramirez was from. Two separate George Washington high schools in the first round. Um, 
just interesting. The New York Institute of Technology had a first rounder. Alan Watson went uh, 21st overall. So we have uh, the New York Institute of Technology. We've got the University of Penn. We just got stuff all over. Uh, Joey uh, Hamilton's one of the top five picks. He's from Georgia Southern. We don't get a ton of guys from there, but it being a school, uh, Southern school, we do get a few. So Ramirez has a war of 69.3. Next back, Sean Green at 34.7, who went 16th. Cliff Floyd next, 25.9. Then Aaron Seeley, 20.1. And then that previously mentioned uh, Joey Hamilton at a 14.3. Now, the reason the Indians dominate this class is you go to the second round. Highest war player in the second round, that's Kevin Stocker, the shortstop. You might remember him. We bounced around. Second best war in the second round of this class, Herbert Perry, from the University of Florida, Indian second round pick. Go to the third round. Oh, I clicked on the wrong link. So you go to the third round. Highest war in the third round. Uh, it belongs to Chris Steins and then Jim Mercer, Todd Hollinsworth, Alex Achea, and then Chad OJ, Indians pick. So highest rated war in round one, second highest rated war in round two, fifth highest roar in round three. Round four, Paul Bird at a 16.2 has the highest war of any player in round two, three, or four. Uh, so again, just blowing away the competition so far. I mean, it's almost a perfect draft. Now in the 15th round, the Indians finally failed to get on the board. Kevin Lod logs in a left-handed pitcher out of Lynn Bitten Community College, does not get to the big leagues. And uh, the sixth round does not go. You have another player who fails to get to the big leagues. But the seventh round is interesting. Latroy Hawkins is your highest war player there, 17.8. But you go down the list. Homer Bush, I remember him. Jimmy Haynes, I remember him. Pep Harris, I didn't realize the Indians had drafted him out of Lancaster High School. Uh, they had 2.9 war, 121 games in the big leagues, fourth best war in the seventh round. So in the first seven rounds, they took a player who had a top five war in five of those seven rounds, including the highest player in two of the rounds. Uh, it is a just a dominant class. I, I don't think I've, when we talk about the Indians' great classes, you know, the greatest class ever, that 89 class, most of the damage is done on day three. And then they also just found a bunch of useful players. But day three, you get Giles and Tomey, and that makes that class unbelievable. This is a class where Manny Ramirez is a lot of the value. Don't get me wrong. He has more war than the rest of the Indians draft class combined. Uh, other players of note, Albi Lopez in the 20th round, and that's a solid find. I know some people aren't the hugest Albi Lopez fans. When he was here, it just felt like we're everyone was happy. To, I remember watching at a Damon's uh bar like watching the uh draft and people cheering when albie lopez got selected uh so not not loved uh chris coulter i talked about on like my just weird historical stats uh thing where i'm like he performed really well and then just retired i don't know what happened but you also had uh jed hansen who they did not sign who would later make it to the big league steve bourgeois who they did not sign who would later make it to the big leagues and damon jackson who they draft in the 44th round. I'm doing some research. I realized he signed. For whatever reason, uh, it says no, he did not sign in that 44th round. But he signed because he's playing in the Indians minors in 92. Uh, and that 44th round, if you remember, we already talked about it once. That's the Isringhausen round. So you get Isringhausen and Damian Jackson signing. He, uh, Damian Jackson played one year of high school baseball. It was a complete find. He was just a very good athlete. 
Uh, the Indians locked into him, drafted him late, and he signed. In 92, he is playing in the Indians minor leagues. So, yeah, he, he signed. I, I don't know why Baseball Reference has him as not signing. And then uh, he is part of that awful, awful, awful John Smiley deal. Uh, Jackson was a superb athlete who, I mean, let's see, 827 games in the big leagues. You know, offensively, he was never much of a force. His his comp is Yomar Sanchez, but at the same time, just a great athlete and kind of incredible to think. I mean, he debuted in the majors in 96. In 1991, he had played his first year of high school baseball and his first year of organized baseball. Within five years of his first year of organized baseball, he's playing in the big leagues. That's unbelievable. It lists him as having gone to Laney College in Oakland, but again, I don't see how that happens. If he's drafted in 91, I mean, maybe the Indians signed, signed him as an undrafted free agent at the end of 92. It's just weird that they wouldn't have tried to sign him, that they just, you know, that they didn't draft him in 92, that they signed him. I don't know. All I know is in 1992, he's playing in the minors for the Indians. So maybe he didn't sign as a 44th rounder. Maybe I went and like looked in his Wikipedia. It doesn't have a ton of information, but it's just... And, a supreme athlete moved through the system bad trade only a bad trade because john smiley's arm randomly fell off still joke about that with my friends to this day but you look at this class it's just top to bottom uh fantastic one of the best in indians history and another hank peter special i hope you enjoyed the show uh let me know what you think as always feedback from the fans really help i've been favoriting things we will get to a mailbag this week i promise we will talk about all of your questions i just got to go back in and start doing that. But I wanted to talk one draft a week. We went with 91. Let me know what drafts you want me to look into. Get, throw some other ideas and thoughts. Uh, I was looking at 98. I was looking at 88. Uh, I was looking at 72. I was kind of looking at those first round picks that pop and then seeing what classes were interesting. And the Indians overall dominance in 91 made it jump out to me. I've been Jeff Ellis. Give me that information over at my Twitter, at JeffMLBDraft. I want to thank you again for making Lockdown Indians your first listen of the day. Go check out Lockdown Cavs. Uh, I've been reading so much about Evan Mobley of late. If you are like me, go. I'm sure they're talking about him all the time over at Lockdown Cavs. Uh, remember, rate and review, download daily. Hey, we broke the top 100 baseball podcasts in Canada, and we're close to breaking it in the United States. So download daily. It helps. We are so close. You can get us there. If you're listening to this, just make sure you're keeping up. Uh, rate and review, all those things, so helpful. And as we say now, go, go, Guardians, go.